to One Church Podcast. We hope you enjoy this message. And for more information, please visit us on the web at onechurch.net. What a beautiful time of worship. Thank you so much, Kendall, and our team that put that together. And uh, now I want to invite you to join me as we come around the Word of God. And uh, you know what a a great thing it is during this season where so much can feel uh, uncertain that we have a place of truth and a true foundation for our lives in the Word of God. The Bible says that God's Word is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And so uh, if you have a Bible, you can grab it and turn with me this morning to the book of John, the first chapter, John chapter one. And we're going to get to that in just a moment. But today uh, we are kicking off a new series of messages that we are calling Home Life. And uh, over the next number of weeks ahead, we're going to be talking about marriage, family, relationships, communication, conflict resolution, really all things home. And so I know during the season you're at home, we're all at home, probably spending a little more time than we're used to at home. And so we want to talk about home life. And you know, our vision as a church is to live the Jesus life together. Uh, to not just be uh, nominal Christians in name, but to really be followers of Jesus in all of life. And, you know, for many of us, we can often fall into the temptation of segmenting life into spiritual and unspiritual segments. Uh, Oftentimes we see, uh, you know, the, the routine of daily life as just normal life, unspiritual life, Maybe there's a few spiritual moments throughout our week, or maybe perhaps the pinnacle of our spiritual life is a couple of hours on a Sunday morning. And while I believe that that is very important to have that time to gather, uh, whether it's physically or as we are in this season online, ultimately I believe that to be a follower of Jesus is to live all of life as spiritual. In fact, I love the way that John opens up his gospel in John chapter 1 and he says this in John chapter 1 as he's beginning to share the gospel, the story of the life and the work of Jesus. He says this, John chapter 1 verse 1, in the beginning was the Word and the Word was with God and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God all things were made through him and without him nothing was made that was made in him was life and the life was the light of men and the light shines in the darkness and the darkness did not comprehend it john is using this beautiful illustrative language to communicate the reality that the creative life-giving presence of God was manifest through the person of Jesus. And I love what he says in verse 14 as he continues, he says, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us and we beheld his glory, the glory of the only begotten of the father, full of grace and truth. For the original audience and readers of this 
letter, this passage, uh, this would have been a mind-blowing declaration that we have beheld the glory of God. What was, what was uh, withheld from uh, even Moses in the Old Testament now has been revealed to us, the glory of God in the person of Jesus as he dwelt among us. And that's the phrase that I want to draw your attention to to today, that the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Uh, I love the way that Eugene Peterson says that in his paraphrase when he says that uh, he moved into the neighborhood because that really captures the reality of what Jesus did when he came in the flesh into the neighborhood. He didn't go to a remote spiritual center where he could just kind of be separated from real life. He entered into real life. He moved into the neighborhood, into a home, into a family. And you know, that's the reality of what God came to do in Jesus, that he came to restore all of life back into relationship with God. And I don't know if you've ever stopped to think about Jesus's home life. Uh, as the scripture says here, he came to dwell among us. He lived in a real home with a real family. Have you ever stopped to think about Jesus's home life? What was it like growing up in a home with Jesus? And you know, the reality is that Jesus's home life was not a perfect life. He didn't have a perfect family. Uh, he was born into a family that Matthew describes as he opens up his gospel, that there was some uh, checkered characters in the family tree of Jesus, some people in Jesus' family line, uh, like we all have, that maybe we don't talk about uh, those members of the family. Uh, he was born to a teenage mom, a working class family. His stepdad, Joseph, was a carpenter. He wasn't of great means. It was a, a working class family. He was born with all of the challenges of being a first child, uh, complicated by the fact that Mary was just a teenager at the time that Jesus was born. Not only that, but Jesus was born, with, although he was the firstborn, he had lots of brothers and sisters. In fact, Matthew says this about Jesus in Matthew chapter 13, uh, that many people didn't believe Jesus. They didn't follow Jesus. And they said this in, in Matthew 13, verse 55, is this not the carpenter's son? Is his mother not called Mary and his brothers, James, Joseph, Simon and Judas and his sisters, are they not all with us? Where did this man get all these things? In other words, they, they didn't receive Jesus because he was so ordinary. They knew his mom. They knew his stepdad, Joseph. They knew all of his brothers. In fact, uh, here it lists four brothers and it talks about multiple sisters. And so it's very likely that Jesus lived in this middle-class, uh, working-class, ordinary, blended family with probably at least eight kids in the house. And so this, uh, no doubt, would have been an ordinary family that was imperfect, that had all kinds of challenges. But ultimately, I believe that is the place that God chose to manifest Himself. 
because that's really a picture of what God came to do for every single one of us. You see, ultimately what makes a house a home is not the beauty of the house, it's not the ornateness of the house, but what makes a house a home is the presence of God. Uh, ultimately, I believe that many of the longings we have for home will only be fulfilled in the presence of God, that He is the place of peace that we long for. He is the place of joy that we long for, the place of safety and security, the place of acceptance that we long for ultimately will only be fulfilled in the presence of God. Augustine of Hippo said it this way, that thou has made us for thyself, O Lord, and our heart is restless until it finds its rest in thee. The home life of Jesus as imperfect as it was, is really a picture, a microcosm of what Jesus came to do to restore mankind back to our home in relationship with the Father. And even as Jesus moved into that home, as imperfect, as normal, as real as it was, He came to bring heaven into the home. And I believe that's God's desire and God's intention for every single one of us is not just that we would experience eternal life after death, but that we would experience eternal life in everyday life, right where we live in the mundane reality of home life. And I know even as we are in this season, spending more time at home, uh, perhaps you are having some moments that are challenging and difficult. The imperfection of, uh, imperfections of your home may be glaring in this moment, but what if we began to see not just the problems of our home life, but the potential of our home life as we welcome the presence of Jesus into our homes? We're going to be talking over the weeks ahead about some practical uh, things, some practical ways that we can live out heaven on earth in our homes. But I believe first and foremost, it begins by welcoming the presence of Jesus, not just into a couple of hours in, in a building that we go to once a week, but into the everyday moments of our home life. And so I want to encourage you today with a few things that I believe every one of us can do in this season to welcome the presence of God into our life. And I wanna share with you three ways to welcome the presence of God into your home. The first thing I believe that we can do, even as we think about that, as John said, that he wants to dwell among us, the first thing that we can do is to create space for God in our daily routine. Create space for God in your daily routine and the daily rhythms of life. There was a book that came out a number of years ago that to be honest, I've not read the book, but I just love the title of the book. And the title is Good Morning, Holy Spirit. And I love that because I believe that should be the reality of all of our lives, that even as we begin every day, that we see the potential for that day to be a holy day 
through welcoming the Holy Spirit, the presence of God into our lives. The Bible says this in Psalm 119, uh, verse 147, I rise before the dawning of the morning and cry for help. I hope in your word. In other words, I'm getting up early because I want to seek you. I want to make room for you before all of the demands of the day crowd out your presence. I'm going to rise up before the dawning of the morning and I'm going to cry out for help because I need your help today. I know there's some things that are going to be challenging. There's going to be some things that are difficult. And so, God, I'm going to seek after you. I'm going to cry out for help in prayer. And I'm going to hope in your word. I'm going to go to your word to find a source of hope for the difficulties of my day. I'm going to seek you first. I love the story that the Gospels tell about the moment where Jesus goes with Mary and Joseph, go with his family to Jerusalem. And I love it because you may be familiar with the story that they lose Jesus. Uh, I don't know about you, but that gives me great encouragement as a parent because uh, I've, I don't know if you've ever done this, but I've lost a child for a short period of time. I've lost a child. Uh, but how much worse is it when that child is God in the flesh? They lost God. I mean, talk about uh, uh, imperfect parenting moment. Uh, we've all made mistakes, but when God has been entrusted to you, the savior of the world, and you lose him, that can be a, that goes under the parent fail moments. But the Bible says that they traveled a day's journey. They had gone on for a whole day before they even stopped to recognize that Jesus was not with them. And, you know, that is often true for many of us. We go through the the, the rhythm of our day, the routine of our day. We're just going through the, the, the demands of the day and we never stop to seek God. We never stop to say, Jesus, are you with me? W would you be with me in this moment? And so I believe the first way that we can welcome God, we can welcome Jesus through the Holy Spirit into our homes is by creating space in our daily routine, by taking time in the morning uh, 30 seconds here, 30 seconds there, that we're constantly seeking after God. Before we go to bed at night, we take a couple of minutes just to seek after the Lord. Create space in your daily routine for the presence of God. The second thing I believe that we can do to welcome the presence of God into our home life is to create physical reminders of God's presence create physical reminders in the physical space. I know we all live in different homes, perhaps in a simple apartment or perhaps in a beautiful estate, but wherever we live, we have the potential to create a physical space that can lead us, lead our hearts to be aware of the presence of God. The reality is we all know that God doesn't live in buildings, but we do. And so we can create that space that will either draw us away from the presence of God or to open up our hearts to the presence of God. In Buddhism, there is a principle or a thought that they call Zen. And Zen is really a counterfeit of God's purpose for every single one of us. Zen is the idea 
of minimizing physical stimuli in order to open to the spiritual realm. And again, I believe that's a counterfeit of what God wants for his people. Because long before Buddha was on the earth, God instructed his people to create a physical space that would welcome God into their daily life. In fact, in the book of Deuteronomy chapter 6, God gives instructions uh, which is, uh, has come to be called the Shema. It was a, an instruction that the Jewish people would recite every morning and every night, which was about intentionally creating space in their lives for God. And it starts this way, the book of Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4 to 9 records this, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. And these words which I command you today shall be in your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children, and you shall talk with them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise up. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. This is the rhythm that God's people in the Old Testament under the Old Covenant were to create, to, to physically create an environment that would turn their heart towards the reality of God in their daily life. And Jesus repeats this as the greatest commandment, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. But notice that that command is tied to the practical instruction of how we can keep the reality of God's goodness before us in all of life. Talk about it when you get up, when you lay down, when, you, uh, when you're in your house, when you walk. A lot of us are taking walks in this season. What are we talking about as we take those walks? And he says, you're to write it on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. Many Jewish households have what they call a mezuzah, which is a little box that's on the doorpost as they would walk into the house that would contain the Shema, that would be a constant physical reminder of God's goodness to them. And I know uh, we're under no obligation of the Old Covenant law, but I believe that this instruction doesn't have to be law-giving, but life-giving that we can recognize the importance of creating a physical space that will help to bring us into the presence of God. Jesus talked about the prayer closet, that when we pray, we're to go into the closet, shut the door. In other words, that we should have a physical place, that when we go to that place, it is a sacred space to meet with God. Paul talks about it this way, that we're not to walk in the flesh. We're not to be consumed just with the things of the physical world, but we are to walk in the spirit, that we are to live our lives in a way that, that although we are engaged in the realities and the rhythms of daily life, that our heart is constantly engaged with the presence of God. 
I have some great friends that have a vacation home that they have intentionally created a physical space that is not just a place to go for uh, you know, natural rest, but it, it is a sacred place. They have prayed through their home. Even as you come in, there's a little statement, a little plaque that is just a declaration that that is a sacred space. And I believe that should be true in all of our homes. That doesn't mean that we have to decorate everything in some religious sort of way, but that we would create the physical space of our home, physical reminders that would bring our heart back to the presence of God. Perhaps that's something on your bedside table that the first thing you see in the morning before you scroll your phone is a little reminder of God's goodness to you. Perhaps it's something on your mirror. Perhaps it's a a, a a scripture on the wall that would just help to bring your heart back to the presence of God. And so first of all, I think we need to create space in our daily routine. We can welcome God through having space in our daily routine. We can also create physical reminders of the presence of God. And then lastly, I believe we can create an atmosphere of worship. We welcome God into our home life by creating an atmosphere of worship. Oftentimes when we think of worship, we think of a maybe 20 minutes and a Sunday service with music and the full band and that becomes the pinnacle of worship. And as important as that moment may be for all of us to worship, I believe that God wants us to see all of life as worship. You know, in the Old Testament, under the Old Covenant, worship was limited. It was limited to the temple. It it was centered around the temple and it was facilitated by the priests. In fact, the Bible says this in Leviticus chapter 6 verse 12, instructions to the priests, they were to keep the fire on the altar. The fire on the altar, the place of worship was to be kept burning. It shall not be put out, Leviticus 6, 12, and the priest shall burn wood on it every morning. In other words, God was saying, I want you to keep worship burning day and night. There should always be a place of worship. And again, that was under the old covenant in the Old Testament. But now we live under a new covenant and a new reality that worship is no longer limited to a a sacred place that we go to on rare occasion, that we are now, the Bible says that we are now the priest. In fact, 2 Peter chapter 2 verse 5 says this, that you also as living stones are being built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. In other words, under the old covenant, worship was limited to the physical building of the temple and to be offered by the priest. But under the new covenant, we are the temple. We are the the dwelling place of the presence of God. Not only that, but we are the priest. We are the ones that are called to keep worship going. We're called to keep that fire on the altar burning day and night. Worship is not just a few moments on a Sunday service, but all of life is to be worship unto God. 
we, we could probably, without doing any injustice to the scripture, say that our homes are intended to be a microcosm of a new Jerusalem, that those around us would see our homes as a place of the presence of God, the life of God living among us as we've created a sacred space of worship in our homes. And I, I know as we think about maintaining worship, you know, sometimes we may feel like, how do we make all of life as worship? I love what Brother Lawrence said in his little book that he wrote a few hundred years ago called The Practice of the Presence of God. Brother Lawrence lived at a monastery, although he was not a monk. He was responsible for all of the housekeeping, the the daily ordinary tasks of cooking and cleaning and maintaining the grounds. But in that place, he learned to see the daily tasks of life as worship. And he says this in his book that we ought not to be weary of doing little things for the love of God, who regards not the greatness of our work, but the love with which it is performed. It's not the greatness of the work that we do, but the greatness of the love with which we do it that matters. And he's recognizing this reality that all of life can be lived as worship when we do it all to the glory of God. That means that as you clean your house, cleaning can become an act of worship. That means as you mow your grass or as you pull the weeds in your flower bed, those ordinary tasks can be done as acts of worship when they're done to the glory of God with a heart of love for God. You see, your home becomes a temple when all of life becomes worship. And I believe that God wants us to begin to see all of life as an opportunity of worship, that we would welcome His presence, not just on a couple of hours, uh, one day a week, but that every day we would begin to see everyday opportunities as moments for the presence of God. As we prepare to close, I want to ask you, what would it look like to begin to invite God's presence into your daily life? What would it look like to begin to see not just the problems in your home, but the potential in your home as you welcome the presence of God in? I believe that we would begin to experience heaven in our home. But in order order to experience heaven in our home, we must first have heaven in our hearts. And I know perhaps even as you're watching this today, some of you, if you're honest, you don't have heaven in your heart because you've never accepted Jesus into your heart. I want to give you an opportunity to do that today. Or perhaps even as you're hearing this today, you recognize that although you may have heaven in your heart, you may have Jesus in your heart. You've never made space for God in your home. You've never welcomed him into your home. So I want to pray with you right now, a prayer of acceptance. And so right where you're at right now, would you just close your eyes, even as perhaps family is around and maybe you just gather together as a family or maybe you're there by yourself. But I want to invite you to make this moment a sacred moment to make the place that you're at a sacred place, to make your heart an altar of worship to God. 
And for those of you that have never received Jesus into your life, you've never put your faith in Jesus. The Bible says that he stands at the door and knocks. He's wanting to come in. He's wanting to bring his eternal life into your everyday life. And I want to lead you in a prayer, a prayer of faith, a prayer of acceptance. So right now in your heart, would you just pray this prayer? Jesus, come into my life. Forgive me of my sin. Come into the ordinary details. Give me new life. Fill me with your spirit. Help me to follow you from this day forward in Jesus' name. Even as we're praying right now, perhaps you have received Jesus into your heart, but you have not intentionally welcomed him into your home. And I want to lead you in a prayer right now and just a moment right now that we, in this season, as we are in our homes, in our everyday, ordinary life, that we would intentionally welcome Him in. Even as the Bible says that He stands at the door and knocks. I, I want to encourage you just right now to see in your mind's eye, in, the, the, in your own heart, to see Jesus at your door even the physical door of your house, standing and knocking. He, he wants to come in. He wants to live in the ordinary details. As John said, he came to dwell among us. Perhaps you're seeing all of the problems of your family life. Maybe it's that you, you feel alone right now and you want the presence of God with you, or perhaps your house is filled with fighting and stress and arguing. Jesus wants to come in. And so even as you see him at the door of your home, I want you to just intentionally in your, in your heart to open up the door of your home, to welcome him in. Welcome him into the rooms of your house, into the kitchen, the place of connection, the place of conversation around the table. Welcome Jesus into those conversations. I want you to welcome Jesus into your family room, the place of entertainment. Would you welcome him into the closet, those secret places that perhaps nobody sees, perhaps places in your life that you've never allowed anybody else into? And would you welcome him into those places right now? And as we do, I believe that we'll experience heaven on earth as Jesus came to dwell among us by the Holy Spirit. So Lord, we thank you for that today. We thank you, God, that you're not far off, but you're dwelling among us by your Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Well, as we continue to meditate on that today, I, I wanna share with you a conversation that I had recently that I believe will be an encouragement to you. Well, hey, Mom and Dad, good to see you guys. Hello, good morning. Good to see you too, Justin. I know you guys are at home hunkering down, and uh, we've been at home doing the same thing, and uh, everybody is at home having church at home, and uh, today we have kicked off a new series of messages that we're calling Home Life, and we're just talking about really all things home, and um, 
Today, we've been discussing uh, heaven in our home, kind of around the idea of when we uh, welcome Jesus into our homes, although they may not be perfect, uh, they're filled with potential. And, uh, you know, when I think about that, uh, one of the first things that comes to mind is, to me, the need to create an atmosphere of grace. And um, obviously, I grew up in y'all's home, and most of what I learned, I've learned from you. But I know one thing that I, I recognize very clearly is that you guys created an atmosphere of grace. And so I just kind of wanted to open that up and get your input on it. For people that we talk about having Jesus in our home, sometimes it, it may feel a little bit like I've got the devil in my home <laughs> more than Jesus. Well, there are those moments. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So how in, in the in the real life imperfect world, we're not living in some um, you know monastery separated from real life. A lot of us have little kids, and you know the struggle is real. So how do we uh, in that create an atmosphere of grace? What's your thoughts on that? You know. Justin, I think one of the things about grace is that it's about obviously what God, His opinion of us. And in Christ, we are perfected. And I, I think that the opposite of grace is law, our performance. And so whenever you put the emphasis on performance, you're putting it on the opposite of what grace is because grace is about acceptance yeah who you are the way you are and that that acceptance is based on what god has done and i i think that that works out in our homes in the way that we treat one another um you know if, if we're basing it on law it's always well if you do this i will accept you right um, right Grace is, I accept you regardless of what you do. Thank the mm -hmm. Lord. That's the way he relates to us. Yeah. And I'm always the, but, because I wasn't brought up necessarily in a grace-filled home. It was a Christian home, but it was very performance-oriented. Justin, you could probably confirm this, that there was a, a learning process even in, in my own life of what grace looks like because... Uh, a Christian home that doesn't understand grace, theologically even, mm -hmm. to, doesn't, if we don't understand how much God loves us just like we are, I always loved our kids, my husband, but realizing that it wasn't based on what we do and how good your report card is, or if you clean your room, I, that to be able to love people in spite of what they do or don't do, I think it's important, first of all, for us to come to a personal understanding between us and God that I am accepted regardless of what I do. God loves me just like I am. And that has mm -hmm. been a growing process for me. And I think as I've grown in that understanding of God's grace for me, I've been able to express that more and more to the people in my life. I, I think also you have to add to that. Um, that does not mean that we just have kind of a laissez-faire attitude about life. 
right. that anything goes. Because when you really receive grace, there is a responsibility that goes with that. And that word responsibility means I have an ability to respond to God's goodness and God's acceptance. Therefore, I want to be the best that I can be for His glory. And yeah. so that's kind of the, the, the flip side of grace. It doesn't mean that we just live any old way, do any old thing. It means that we respond out of that grace, out of that acceptance that we found in God. And we want to be the best we can be for His glory. Yeah, yeah. I love that scripture that talks about um, that the grace of God teaches us, trains us. That's right. That there's That's this right. um, transformational effect that that grace has on us. And I remember, I mean, in our home growing up, there certainly was training and discipline and correction as needed. But I remember it was always speaking to um, the potential rather than just the problem. Uh, you know, yeah. you guys, I, I remember dad in particular, one of your favorite uh, phrases of correction was, you're better than this. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Which was acknowledging the unacceptable behavior, but, but not saying that's who you are. It was calling us to the potential. And uh, really that's what grace does. And uh, it's a it's it's a beautiful transformation. I mean, the problem. I say this every time I perform a wedding ceremony. There's only two problems: him and her, and that's the reality <laughs> yeah. in every home. Yeah. Yeah. Is every home is filled with sinful people. That's I thought right. I was a pretty good guy. I, I thought I was pretty good until I got married. Yeah. It, it had a way of bringing some things out, and then when I had kids had some <laughs> way of bringing some stuff. Yeah. That's right. And then you did Corona virus. <laughs> Quarantine. Quarantine. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, God, God, I think it's 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 a wonderful thing that God in his plan that he puts us in a home because we do tend to think of ourselves as kind of okay, I've arrived until we get into the context where what's really in us is manifest and there's right. nothing like you know a quarantine to help manifest really what's inside of you yeah yeah absolutely well i know just kind of continue with that thought you know one thing that we're talking about is an atmosphere of worship which i think is really the natural response to grace is when you recognize how loved i am the natural response is, God, I love you. You're so good. Um, in our home growing up, worship was a, a wonderful part of our home, um, specifically around music. Uh, Mom, you're a musician. Uh, both of you are worshipers. But I, I remember as a kid, um, you know, throughout the day, oftentimes, you know, it's stressful moments, four kids in the house, four boys in the house. Um, and, you know, there was, I remember when I was a kid, there was a, you would say sometimes after dinner, the kitchen is closed. And I thought at the time, this is torture, you know, this is terrible. <laughs> now as a parent, I understand that. But oftentimes at the end of the day, you would go to the piano and you would just begin to play on the piano and worship the Lord. I think it was therapy <laughs> for I you. Was to say, I think we should go 
take me to your hiding place. <laughs> yeah. But I know it also taught us how to worship. I remember as a kid, um, probably six or seven years old, when we lived in England, I, is the, the first time I really remember, I would say, having a, a sense of a, an encounter with God for myself. And it was under the piano, kneeling under the piano, and you're just worshiping. And I didn't really even know what worship was. I kind of just did what I saw you guys doing. But in that, uh, we were being shaped. And um, so obviously not everybody is, are, are musicians, but everybody's called to worship. So what does it look like as we respond to the grace of God in worship? Um, how do we not limit worship to a few songs on a Sunday morning, but really bring that into our homes too? Well, I would say, I mean, music is available to people nowadays everywhere. Um, you don't have to be a musician. So obviously, I, I feel like worship is a tool that God gave us. Music is a tool that God gave us as human beings because it softens our heart. It's a it's a way for us to kind of get through the outside and get mm. our heart. I mean, any kind of music can do that. Just last night, I was listening to a song, The Twelfth of Never, that we had sung almost 41 <laughs> years ago at our wedding, and I cried and cried. Johnny Osmond, who knew? That could make me cry. Is that on the Disney <laughs> sing-along? <laughs> no. no, okay, okay. But I saw him last night. It tenderizes our heart. And so I think yeah. is the whole point of having those worship times was not to teach you how to worship as, or teach our kids and ourselves how to worship. It was to teach us how to know God, mm. connect to God. And so music is a good way to do that. And so you put on Spotify or whatever and, uh, connect to God through that music and express to God. Sometimes we feel uncomfortable with our own words. And so music can put words to our, our desire to connect to God. But you can do that even just reading the scriptures. Worship yeah. really means worship. Yeah. Declaring to God who He is, what He's done, what he can do. You see in the scriptures where people came in the New Testament and fell at Jesus's feet and worshiped. Mm. A lot of times they worshiped by saying, I know you are the son of God. I know you can heal me. I yeah. know who you are. And so that's really what worship does. But w music is just one of the tools that we can use to express that worship. And it does get to our heart. Sometimes poetry can get to your heart or watching a beautiful, seeing a beautiful piece of art. Sometimes in churches now we even have people drawing because an artist that can draw can say something from their heart to God that I don't have that tool to say. I know I've seen worship dancers and I've said, Lord, you know in my heart I'm dancing like that to honor you. but. It wouldn't be very honoring if I danced, <laughs> but Jessica could do that, and it would be beautiful. Yeah, yeah, and and I think worship in itself is our expression of love 
And as right, Sandy rightly said, and of worthiness back to God. Um, you know, God speaks to the Jewish people in Deuteronomy, and he says to them, you'll love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. Yeah. And then he goes on to say, and these commands that I give you this day, they will be in, they should be in your heart. You will impress them to your children when you rise up and when you lie down and when you walk in the way. And so there is this sense that out of the love and the affection that we have for God, we now begin to express that through obviously obeying his commands, living a life that is God honoring in our behavior, in our words, and in our actions. Uh, that is worship, uh, just as much as we sing a song that honors God is an act of worship. Uh, you know, I can't teach you how to worship. I can teach you how to praise, but I can't teach you how to worship. Because worship flows from the depths of our soul mm. and it is our heart cry of love back to God for his goodness to us. Yeah. Sometimes I think it's good. One thing as parents that we can do, well, we can do for ourselves just as human beings, but for, as parents for our children is call attention to God's greatness through God, God's nature. Yeah. Um, you used to do that. Used you to may that. remember being on trips and I would say, Oh, look at those gorgeous trees or look at those look at those clouds. God made yeah. that. God yeah. did that. And uh, look at these flowers, boys. Look at all the different colors. God was so creative. He made all of this. Trying mm. to build into our family a recognition of God, the creator. And an awareness just generally in life that you're you're living in this context because if you're trying to create a an atmosphere of that 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 is focused on God and of worship, it becomes this lifestyle. It's not something I do. It flows out of who I am. Mm -hmm. And when you're in a when you're just aware, and that was something that your mom was so good at, uh, that creative artistic side of her personality always well, flowed out in these these very serendipitous ways in which she would call attention to the goodness of God. But even yeah, even bugs, when you got boys, <laughs> you gotta call attention to the bugs, right? And yeah. say, wow, God had he had so many cool ideas of ways to create different kind of bugs and animals and and just recognizing the work of God in making different kinds of people, not everybody yeah. talkative, and, yeah. and attributing those, those beautiful qualities of, of uniqueness to a God. Only God could make up that stuff. I remember one yeah. of the things your mom would often do, particularly like if we were riding, driving down the road or something, and it was like coming to sunset because she loves silhouettes. And she would always call attention uh, to silhouettes of the trees. I love that the way God lets the light shine through these trees. I think that kind of awareness brings God kind of into your 
daily routine. So it's yeah. not something that I have to go do. It's yeah. just kind of, I'm living aware of who yeah. he is. Yeah, that's great. Let me ask you this, and maybe our last minute or two. Dad, I know, um, like I said, mom is a musician, but you both really um, led us in worship. I, I posted recently a video on Instagram that had been from, it was actually a family worship time, which it kind of every time we're together, we, we end up around the piano at some point. Normally yeah. we start singing just some maybe oldies songs and then at some point it turns to worship and then it ends up we're all worshiping and dad's crying and it's a, <laughs> it's a great time. But I know dad, you know, not all men would maybe most naturally feel comfortable expressing worship sure. uh, in that way. Talk to us a little bit about the expression of worship uh, both in, you know, in those physical expressions, but then also how can we see all of life as yeah, worship? Yeah. Because there's some, it, it, I think it could be true for men and women, and um, but there are some people that would maybe say, hey, I, um, you know, I worship the Lord, I express worship similar to our love languages. I've got a different love language. How can we both encourage that in our homes while making room for a fuller expression of worship. You, you know, I think men, all of us, express worship in a very different way than women. Um, you know, and I think naturally, we, we, naturally I, I mean, we need this masculine, because God is both, you know, we have the characteristics in humanity of both masculine and feminine, and we need the masculine expressions of worship. Yeah. And masculine expressions of worship oftentimes are in things that are done or carried out. Mm -hmm. I, I think acts of service yeah. are just as much an act of worship as a song that's sung and, you know, we that's raise up our hands and kind of having this very emotional moment with God. Uh, men are wired that way by God. Yeah, and yeah. That is a expression of worship and, you know, establishing in our homes a sense of honor of, for God and a sense of obedience to the word of God and a sense of having a pattern in our life. You know, Joshua says, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. I think that is a masculine expression of worship. And I, I think sometimes we pushed men into thinking they've got to be something else other than who they are in order to worship when God made them the way they are. And sometimes, you know, men, we, we don't respond real well to all of these kind of gushy uh, love songs, uh, <laughs> you know, in our worship. We just don't. Yeah. We're not wired that way. But yeah. we do respond to God. We love God. Absolutely. It's a less act of love for God if we yeah. demonstrate that in, in service yeah. or in obedience. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, Mom and Dad, thank you so much. And you guys have modeled this for us. And uh, that's why Jennifer and I and all of my brothers are loving the Lord 
Um, really, it's a testimony to, although our home wasn't perfect. <laughs> um, Real. That's right. It, it was, perfect. It was, um, it, it was a, a wonderful place to grow up and a wonderful home life that we really want to emulate and pattern. So thank you guys. And uh, thanks for talking today. I, I, you, maybe you uh, changed your clothes for the first time in uh, <laughs> six weeks. I don't know. <laughs> anyway, well, I love you guys. Good to see you today. Good love to you, you too, sir. All right. Talk to you soon. Talk to you Bye. soon. Bye-bye.